I know the uh, a couple of our other pulpit members are away on vacation. Um, but one of the things I do want to do is I want to uh, thank God uh, for his divine guidance and his direction in uh, bringing Pastor Tony to our church. We also want to thank him for his uh, traveling grace for his family that traveled all the way across our country. I drove uh, 12 hours yesterday coming back, and I can't imagine doing 12 hours four days in a row. Wow, that's, that's amazing. But uh, to bring him back here finally home to our church. Someone asked me this morning, they said, did you wear that shirt today so you could poke Tony in the eye? You know, I was like, I was like no, but I did think about that after I put it on. But um, uh, without further ado then, I would like to formally introduce our new pastor, Pastor Tony Romano. I, um, I hope you'll give me just a, a couple minutes here at the beginning, and please don't count it towards my sermon time. <laughs> but uh, I want to make sure all my papers are separated this morning, first of all. <laughs> but uh, there are just some things I want to say because it's our first time together and um, in an official capacity. And, and But the first thing I want to say to all of you is, is, is hard to say because I don't know exactly how to best say it, but um, my family and I genuinely do not know how to express the right amount of thanks for um, all that you've done for us. Um, that home is amazing. Uh, we, just, we were just blown away. We, we continue to be blown away by it. I was telling somebody the other day that I opened a closet I hadn't opened yet and found a, a bunch of batteries and cleaning supplies and things like that, and I just we just continue to be amazed by it. And and I, there just aren't words for all that you've done. I mean, when you when you take into account everything that you've done for us and to get us here, and so I I, I want to thank you for that. But but what I want to tell you is, none of that is taken for granted by us. None of it, and none of it will be forgotten. And I, I just want you to know that. That is so kind and so gracious that you'd be willing to, to do all of that for us. We just, I wish there were better words. I wish there were more things to say, but thank you all so much. Um, I've been waiting for just over two months for this day and trying to figure out what I was going to say and where we would start together. And I, um, I, I, I can't believe that it's here. You know, I, I hope that uh, over the next couple of weeks and months, you'll bear with me as I try to learn names and remember names and remember things. And, and uh, if I see you in a store or something and I don't say hi, please don't be taken aback by that. I probably just unfortunately don't recognize you yet, so don't hold that against me. And I, I guess this morning my girls told me when we sat down to sing that there was a young man that tried to shake my hand and I didn't see him, so I just left the little guy hanging. So I'm, whoever you are, little fellow, I'm very sorry about that. Didn't mean to do that at all. But, but thankfully, my girls let me know that I did that and reminded me of that. But, but um, I, just, I just can't believe that it's here. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, and then, then, I'll, then I'll start. My, my, my wife and I, when we, um, 
when we sat down together and started to talk through, um, you know, starting to look for something new and, and all this process and all those sorts of things, we had this list of boxes, so to speak. We didn't write it down that we were asking God to check to be a kind of confirmation for us, if you will, that, that it was time to move on. And uh, some of those boxes were biblical and they made sense. You know, you could draw straight lines between what we were asking for and what God has promised to provide. And then other things were um, just things that we hoped to have, if, if God would be kind to us and merciful to us. And um, as we start out together, there's so much that I could say, but I wanted to tell you that, that with you, God checked every single box. And we just did not, I just did not think that was ever going to happen, to be honest with you. And against all the odds and against everything that I actually deserve, God has been so kind and gracious to us in bringing us here and in, in you letting us come here. And I just wanted you to know that before we get started, all right? So grace, mercy, and peace to you, to all of you, from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible is saturated with Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Not because every single verse mentions Jesus, they don't, or because every single verse talks about Jesus directly, but because all Scripture was intended by God to reveal Jesus to us. Now, that's what the Bible tells us about itself in fact, the reason that the Bible has value for us is that it is a book about Jesus Christ in whom and only in whom we have eternal life. And so over these first few weeks together, I want to draw that out for you. And, and a big reason for that, I'll be honest, a, a big reason for that is I, I want you to understand why I preach the way that I do and what it is that I'm hoping to accomplish every time I stand behind the pulpit when we gathered together, but a deeper and a more important reason is so we can get a picture in our minds of what the Bible intends to do and how the Bible goes about doing it or accomplishing it. What do we believe the purpose of the Bible is? Have you ever asked yourself that as you read the Bible, as you come to sit under the Bible, have you ever asked yourself, what is the actual purpose of the Bible? Because that how you are answering that question in your heart. And I guarantee you, you have a belief in your mind of what you think the purpose of the Bible is, even if you've never spoken it out loud or written it down or anything. But the reason that's so important is what you believe the purpose of the Bible is will determine how you read it. That will determine why you go to it. It will determine what you expect from a sermon. It will determine how you measure, for better or worse, God's relevance in your life, God's usefulness in your life. So we have to get the answer to that question correct in our own hearts. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that the purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus to us, the one who gives us life and shows us that it's, and show us, if I can, that it's content and the way it has been written are a means to that end, showing Jesus to us over against other ends or other purposes. That if we approach it, for example, 
I know that we, we, we think of it like this, and so just bear with me. But if we approach the Bible mainly as though it's a manual for life of some kind, not only are we going to constantly be frustrated, because the Bible tends to be very nonspecific a lot of the time, but we're going to miss what the defined purpose of the Bible, what the explicitly stated purpose of the Bible actually is if we do that. How we approach the Bible matters. And it might matter, beloved, more than anything. How we approach God's word. I want to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I'm after. To preach Christ crucified from every single text in the Bible. To build on no other foundation but Jesus Christ. That's what I think Paul was talking about when he told Timothy to preach the word. To be ready in season and out of season. That's what I think Paul meant when he told the Ephesian elders that his conscience was clear because he had declared to them. He didn't shrink back, he says, from declaring the whole counsel of God. Christ crucified is the whole counsel of God. And so if you'll allow me one more time, I know I spoke from Luke when I was here before, but if you'll allow me one more time to draw from Luke's well this morning, I want us to see in this text that the word of God rightly approached, rightly understood what it does to our hearts, because that's the goal, beloved. And that will always be the goal. In Luke 24, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and appeared physically to his disciples in order to show them that he was the substance of all scripture. And a burning heart is a heart consumed by the life-giving knowledge of Jesus as he has been revealed to us in the scriptures. So now may we hear and believe God's word together. I'm going to begin at verse 13 of Luke 24. That very day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There was nothing that happened that weekend that should have taken Jesus' disciples by surprise. He talked about it 
almost since the beginning of his ministry, and yet it did. It took them all by surprise. You can see this in these Cleopas and his unnamed companion, who it's very interesting here that these two men, presumably that Jesus meets on the road, were not part of the original 12. It wraps us up into that story because neither were we. But notice in verse 25, Jesus reveals that the reason, Jesus identifies the reason that what happened did surprise them is because they had never fully understood or believed their Old Testament scriptures. That's what Jesus says they weren't believing. What Jesus did had to be done because God had prophesied it in scripture. And what Jesus did had to be done because this was going to be the appointed means by which he purchased salvation for his people. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, which means there are things in all the scriptures, all of them concerning Jesus. Jesus preached Jesus from the Old Testament. He showed them what they hadn't seen, what it was that they were slow of heart to believe or to accept the things concerning himself. Now that's very important because when you read the Old Testament, it is not always clear how it is pointing to Jesus or what about him it's trying to say. Imagine if you would have been reading it before he came and fulfilled it and explained it. But he's saying that what had been written about him in the Old Testament should have been clearly seen, should have been clearly understood to the point that what happened that weekend didn't throw them off, but helped them believe and enabled them to believe and to make things certain in their minds. Everything was there. It should have been clearly seen. For example, John 5:46, Jesus proclaimed, If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote about me. So Jesus was in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Acts 2:25, for David says concerning Jesus, quoting Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me. Jesus was in the Old Testament writings, the Old Testament Wisdom literature, Acts 3, 18 and 24, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him proclaim these days. So Jesus was in the Old Testament history books. Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Jesus was in the Old Testament prophets. He was all over the Old Testament. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. Their doubts and their questions, their inability to see how he was the one God had sent to redeem Israel brought about a rebuke from Jesus. Jesus rebukes them. He calls them foolish. So let's keep that in mind as we read on in verse, verses 28 to 35. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now God did not open their eyes to who he was on the road when Jesus interpreted the scriptures, actually. God opened their eyes in verse 31 when the one who had interpreted the scripture broke bread for them. God opened their eyes then so that they would realize the point of understanding Scripture is to know Jesus as Savior. All Scripture bears witness to the one whose body was broken like bread, whose blood was poured out like wine so that we would believe in him for salvation. John 20 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I like to think of that as the thesis statement for the whole Bible. Jesus will only ever be seen clearly in Scripture when he is seen in the breaking of the bread. That is, in his sacrificial death for us. All scripture proclaims Jesus is the one who died and rose again for sinners. That's the point of the Bible. That's what its purpose is. And to the degree that we go to the Bible without remembering that the point of it is to show us our Savior, we are never going to be able to understand it correctly. We're not going to be able to put the pieces together properly. Their hearts burned when he opened the scriptures to them because he is their Savior. Jesus as Savior binds the Bible together. Jesus as Savior unlocks every door. Jesus as Savior opens up every text. Look at 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Everything goes back to his death. For his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, everything Jesus is saying here about the content of Scripture is focused exclusively on his dying and rising from the dead. It's focused on the gospel. He declares even more clearly to his apostles here that the whole Bible is about him, whether it specifically mentions his name or not. Jesus doesn't mean we're free to use the Old Testament like a wax nose and just make whatever the text say, whatever we want to say about him. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he wants us to be doing. Nor is he talking about people reaching some 
special level of subjective spirituality where they have secret insight into what the Bible really means. We're talking about accepting the purpose Jesus gives to Scripture as the only possible way to understand the meaning of any and every given text. Notice something very interesting here. What Jesus says in verses 46 and 47 about the Old Testament, that thus it is written, he's not quoting any Old Testament passage directly. Notice that. What Jesus is saying is that, listen, the testimony of the Old Testament scripture is to this. The whole of it, when taken together, if you look at it as a composite, if Jesus is summarizing the, the actual witness of the Old Testament, what it's saying is something about him living and dying and rising from the dead for his people. He interpreted all scripture then through the lens of what scripture was meant to do, through what all scripture pointed to. Jesus makes the meaning of the text plain. Jesus makes it clear what this text reveals. And it's so important for us even as a church is that if we aren't interpreting scripture in order to see Jesus as a savior, we will remain slow of heart to believe. We will struggle. We'll be unable to interpret it in the life-giving way it was given to do. And again, I don't want you to think I'm talking about some secret insight where only a select few have this special anointing or something to understand the Bible. Not at all. We're talking about being able to understand what has been written, what's there, what's already been revealed. If we aren't letting Jesus in all of Scripture control our interpretation, we'll be just like they were on the road to Emmaus. We'll know all the words. We'll know all the verses. But they won't be doing anything to our hearts. We'll be all bark and no bite. We'll be all light and no heat. The meaning of all scripture is found in Jesus the Savior. We don't... We, we have to understand what's, what's happening here. We don't just open the Bible and get it. We, we can't do that. We don't just open it and make it say whatever we want it to say or use it for whatever purpose we might have in the moment. Understanding the Bible as it has been written is impossible without the miracle of divine illumination. That's what this text is about. That's verse 16. That's verse 31. Because the Bible is not a simple manual. It's not just a book of instructions that about how to live the good life or to have your best life now. It's a book written to reveal Jesus, which means, beloved, every time we sit under it, every time we open it, we're completely dependent on God to do a miracle in us to help us understand it. Do we approach God's word with that level of humility when we open it? Or do we just assume we have it? Do we just assume that we know what everything means and we know what to do with it? We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to understand it and show Jesus to us every time we open it or we cannot understand it. Do we approach God's word with an ever increasing sense of dependency as we get older in the faith, not presumption? It's not a miracle when I say it's a miracle, I don't mean it's, it's a miracle that depends on your amount of faith or something. No, no, no. 
God has designed this miracle to take place every time Jesus is explained from all of Scripture for all who have ears to hear. That's what we're seeing in Luke 24. The burning heart is not a magic trick. It's, it's, it's what Christ revealed from all of Scripture does to the heart when God, by His Spirit, in the text, lights the match. This is an amazing passage. I mean, think about what's happening here. Of all the things that Jesus could have done the morning that he rises from the dead, for example, if I would have been the Messiah, which I'm not, I would have shown up in Annas' bedroom while he was still sleeping and Caiaphas, the high priest, and I, I would have scared them to death. Like, I, now what, fellas? I told you. I, I would have floated above Jerusalem and been like, hey, I told you guys, I told all of you, you didn't believe me. That's one of the reasons, one of the billions of reasons I am not your Messiah, because I would have been a jerk that morning. (laughs) Of all the things he could have done, this is what he chooses to do? To walk alongside two of his previously unnamed disciples and explain the Bible to them? That's the first priority for the resurrected Jesus He sat down with those closest to him. He ate some food with them because he's not a ghost. And taught them how everything in the Bible pointed to him. That's what Jesus did with his time when he was first risen from the dead. He didn't take them to heaven right away. He didn't give them magical powers. He didn't give them a secret code to solve all their problems. He just taught them how to understand the Bible. How everything in it was about him. That's what Jesus believed was of the utmost importance for his people. And beloved, it still is and it always will be. Those disciples in verse 32 left that evening with the ability to understand the scriptures. And it made their hearts burn. That's my goal for you. Every single time I step into this pulpit, beloved. Every single time. To see your heart get set on fire by Jesus Christ. My goal is for you to leave every time we open the word just saying what a savior Jesus is. What a Lord he is. How merciful. How kind. How gracious. What a king. What a shepherd. What a counselor. That's what I'm after. I hope you come in every week like those Greeks in John 12. Saying, Tony, we we wish to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. That's what I hope you come in those doors for. My goal as a preacher then, according to this text, has to be to just preach the word. It's enough. Week in, week out, the word of God. You need me to rely on Jesus to show up Every week through his word, you don't want me relying on my own ingenuity, my own wisdom, my own opinions, my own preferences. They are all sand. They're sand. They will let you down. You don't want me picking random topics and figuring out what I think you need to hear the most. Why not? Because, beloved, my body was not broken for you. My blood was not spilled for you. I, Tony Romano, cannot give you life. But I know the one who can. 
And I'm going to talk about him every week. Every week. Only Jesus gives life. I know what folks mean when they say it. But really, just because we live in our semantics sometimes, beloved, I'm not God's man for this church. Jesus Christ is God's man for this church. And if he isn't, if I'm the man for this church, we're all in a bunch of trouble, to be honest with you. But Christ is, and he's enough. You want your pastor to be meeting with Christ in Scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father every single week. I need you to pray for me so much. Please. I need to be on my knees and in front of the Bible day in and day out. My task every week is to be asking the Father how to bring out of a text what he breathed into it. That's what I want to bring to you every week. I need to be pouring over the text all week long, praying that Jesus would show me where he is, what he wants his people to know, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, all the time. I trust in the power of Christ in the scriptures to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish in this church and in this town. He is enough. He is enough. That's why I preach the way I preach. And and again, I... I, 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 I don't want to preach myself. That would be a little bit ironically stupid <laughs> this morning. But I, I, just, I just, because it's our first time together, I, I trust the text to do what God wants to get done. To say what God wants to say in order to make our hearts burn to know our Savior. I think it's the same for the believer and the unbeliever. Understanding the text is the key to the believer's faith. Because the scriptures reveal Jesus to us and it's the key to the unbeliever. Because the life-giving word of Jesus that can bring them to life for salvation is contained in those very same texts. Christ is revealed to the saved and to the lost in the word of God. The kindling for every soul is found in understanding Christ in all the scriptures as we hear them proclaimed over and over and over again. God has always And continues to shape his people by his word. And his word is Christ. So the text is sufficient. The text is where the kindling is. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the Bible is not arranged by topic? God didn't write it that way. I mean... Considering how we tend to think what the purpose of the Bible is, wouldn't it have been easier if when we're struggling in our marriage, we could just go to the M's and God would say, all right, these are the ten things you can do to make your husband stop being such an oaf. And these are the five things you can do to make your wife be nice to you, whatever, right? It's not written like that. It's it's, It's not written like an encyclopedia. It's not written like a dictionary. It's almost as though it was written the way it is on purpose and wasn't written another way. Maybe that's not what faith is all about, having all the answers to all the questions. It's not presented to us like a reference book. So whatever we can say about that, here's what we definitely say: can say God does not present himself to us as a life coach. He doesn't present himself to us as a problem solver. 
Now, I know that if you go in a Christian bookstore, apparently that's all God is about. He's not just a store of information that we can access when we have problems or questions, although he is that in a sense that that's not primarily what God is doing in our hearts. Instead of giving us a, uh, giving us a reference book, God has revealed himself to us over time through history and law and prophecy and wisdom literature and songs and prayers and gospel narratives and apocalyptic literature and epistles. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son who said to men who knew their Hebrew Bibles back to front and back again. Men who knew all the verses and had them all memorized in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life and they bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So there's a way to study the Bible diligently in a Christless way that will condemn you and not save you. Now that's scary. That's alarming. And I hope that when you hear Jesus say things like that, I hope that it comes like lightning if our mindset is simply, well, I need some help in my marriage. I, I, I might as well get back to the Bible. I need help trying to figure out how to parent my kids. I, I better find the verses to talk about parenting. There aren't a lot. There are a few. They're there. We know them. It doesn't mean the Bible has nothing to say about those things. Not at all. It doesn't mean the Bible has nothing to say about our marriages or parenting or work or school or many of the deepest questions in our souls. Yes, it addresses all of those things. My point is the way God addresses those things is not by providing a list of answers to all the specific questions, but by revealing his son to us. As the way, as the truth, as the life, a person, a person. People are knowable. People are. God gave a savior to us, beloved. He didn't give us a maintenance man. The answers come as our picture of Jesus is more clearly formed by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. We tend to see men like trees walking most of the time. We can see. God has touched us. We can see, but we can't see perfectly. We need the constant touch of Jesus, which he gives through his word. We need Jesus to take the scales off of our eyes, to set our hearts on fire, so that we have some light and some heat in a world that is so broken and so cold. Everything in the Bible is clothed in a redemptive context by a savior and everything requires jesus to interpret it for us or we will never understand what a text is saying about a given topic anyway god has not come to solve problems he's come to reveal himself to us through his son and so much of our frustration with god doesn't come because god is hiding himself or hiding his will from us and playing some kind of game for us or with us. It comes because, our frustration comes because we keep going to God thinking that he's fix-it Felix and not a savior who heals us and makes us whole by showing us 
that peace and hope and life and contentment and all these things do not come from having all the specific answers. That comes from knowing Jesus no matter what is going on. That's what God is doing. God is transcending this world. He's going higher than just answering the questions. We always want to ask God why. I do too. I understand that. But has it ever occurred to us that we might not want to know why? We think that why would satisfy our questions. What if it makes it harder? What if his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and and, and, and maybe the answers are not what we need the most. Maybe we need the person to hold us precisely because the answers are rarely going to make any sense. God knows what's really missing in us. He knows what's actually wrong with us. So we need to look to the solution he gave as a means of understanding how to be made whole. He gave us a way to know his son. Before he gave us a manual for life. And just consider something with me as it pertains to the Bible. Have you ever thought about Philippians 4.19 in light of scripture? For my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now think about that text. God is breathing that text into the writer, into Paul. And what it means is God is saying, I will give you every single thing that you need according to my riches and glory in my son. It's a limitless supply. You will always have everything you need. God says, I promise. Now, either that's true about the Bible also, right? Or God is a liar. Which means every single thing I need, every word I need from the Lord has already been supplied in the Bible. Right? He promised to give me all my needs. I need what's in this book. If it's not in this book, when it comes to understanding God's word, I must not need it. I need this. I, I, I need what's here to understand life. I need what's here and what's here is sufficient. That's the whole point. What I need is in this book. If it's not in this book, I don't need it. It's very important for how we approach how we understand the scripture because normally we're always wanting to go outside the scripture to understand it, to, to, to find out more about it. Or to try, or what I mean is try to make sense of the questions that we have. And so people write books and they do, and I read books. I love to read. I was in Books a Million yesterday. That's why West Virginia is almost heaven because you have a giant bookstore. That's, that. But, I'm, I'm confusing myself. What I'm trying to say is this. Everything that you need for your marriage, God has provided. Everything that you need to understand your job and your school and all, God has provided these things. We want something else. That's why we think we need more. And he's enough. Jesus as Savior, living the perfect life you and I never could have lived, dying a sacrificial death for us, forgiving us of our sins when we believe by grace through faith, giving us his righteousness, crediting that to our account. Beloved, that's meant to hold you in everything. In everything. That Jesus has absorbed God's wrath for you and I by dying on the cross. That's meant to hold us up. Sin is why everything is broken. 
Jesus came to forgive sins. To undo the damage done to us by Adam. The hearts of those men on the road to Emmaus didn't burn because all the questions they had got answered. They burned because Jesus had opened the scriptures to them to show them how it all pointed to him. Luke 24 is the first time anybody ever actually understood the scripture. And it took Jesus to do it. That's still how God makes hearts burn in the church. Beloved, we need him too much to be about anything else. We need him so much. Week in and week out, we need one who knows us completely. Down to the darkest places inside of all of us that nobody else knows about. God knows those things and loves us anyway. That's who we need to be whole. That's who Jesus is. The Bible tells the story of one who lived the perfectly righteous life we never could have lived. Offered that life up on a cross as a sacrifice for his enemies that God then raised from the dead to forgive us of all our sins and give us his righteousness as a gift. This book is a story about how everything that's wrong and broken has been reconciled to God through Jesus dying on the cross. That's Colossians 1. This is a story about how all the tables have turned. About how all the math is actually backwards. Because of Jesus, I won't reap what I have sown. I'll reap what he has sown. For all eternity. That's the story of the Bible. We find in Jesus alone the answer to the deepest questions that this broken world is going to throw at our souls. Come to him and have life. Come to him and have your heart burn. A burning heart is a heart consumed by the life-giving knowledge of Jesus as he has been revealed to us in the scripture. I believe that's what the word of God means to do in the church. To be the constant kindling for our hearts to keep us focused on Jesus. When the scriptures are rightly understood, our hearts burn. And they can only be rightly understood when we see how Christ is revealed to us in all of them. So, beloved, the life-giving word of God stirs our souls to focus on Jesus by raising us from the dead, by setting us free. And the word of God transforms us by its focus on who Jesus is for us in the gospel. That's where we're going over these next four weeks now together. Jesus takes what is broken and he makes it whole. He takes the dead and brings it to life. He takes the darkness and bursts in with light. He takes dying, doubting embers and he sets them on fire. Come here every Sunday to gather around the eternal flame that is Jesus. Our Savior who makes us whole. Hope set high on him every week. The one who makes us new and never stops loving and forgiving us. Glory be to the name of Jesus. Those of you that know him, those of you that don't, the front is open for you this morning. As we sing this last song together our invitation song together. This Jesus came to be known. 
And he came saying that those who are healthy don't need a physician, only those who are sick. So you can't be too sick for Jesus, but you can think you're too healthy for him. You come to him this morning, he will never turn you away. Struggling believer, you come to him, he will not turn you away. Unbeliever, trying to decide whether or not you will believe in Jesus, he will not turn you away. He lives, and if you trust him, he will make you whole. He will make you whole.